Welcome to the Boardrooms Best, the podcast for CEOs, board directors, investors, leaders, and those who want to rise and serve in the boardrooms of public, private, family-owned, charitable foundations, and exciting, high-flying entrepreneurial companies. I'm Nancy May, the CEO of the BoardBench Companies, and I'm your host here today at the Boardrooms Best. Hello, everyone. This is Nancy May. I'm your host here today at the Boardrooms Best. It is a pleasure to be joining you and everybody else listening for the first show of our 2019 New Year. And I have a very special guest with us, my good friend Kevin Silva from Voya. But before we start, there is some exciting news that I need to share with, or I want to share with all of you that has concluded our 2018 show, shows I should say, which we have been on now for one full year. In the course of 2018. We were cited in Forbes and then also ABC Broadcast Radio as one of America's top governance experts. And we also received the honor and distinction as one of the top 25 podcasts to listen to now at the end of 2019. I can't tell you how exciting that is. And for the thousands of people that we have reached over this past year, a special thank you to all of you. You have made us better at what we do. And your comments and inquiries and questions that have come in an email and other notes have been really fantastic. So I really thank each and every one of you for being a supporter and for listening and for continuing your support of the show. So with that, it is my pleasure and privilege to start off the 2019 podcast year with my friend, Kevin Silva, the Chief Human Resource Officer here at Voya a public company and a financial services company that is really an amazing organization. Kevin and I have known each other for many years, and I've had the fortune of seeing how his career and his leadership has really made amazing changes to companies over the years. So welcome, Kevin, to the Boardroom's Best. It's a pleasure to have you here as our guest. Thank you and delighted to be here today. You're in a rather unusual role over the course of your career. You actually started out in Pepsi and sales. Is that correct? Actually, in uh, Keebler, in consumer goods sales, I was a cookie salesman, uh, was my first venture in life. And it was a great start. I learned about how a profit is made one unit at a time, one penny at a time, one bag at a time. I learned about uh, distribution. I learned about marketing. I certainly uh, learned a lot about sales at that time, I learned about putting together sales teams, what makes good sales teams, what makes high-performing sales teams. And I had a great career as a leading salesperson and as a district manager and then several other positions with Keebler. Well, I have a very different image of you thinking of the Keebler cookie guys now knocking on trees than I do here in New York sitting uh, on the corner of Park Avenue. That was the joke that uh, my boss was an elf with uh, turned up shoes. Uh, no, no elf, no turned up shoes. But um, that experience has actually probably helped you over the years, especially now in the boardroom, as far as understanding the impact of what you're doing in, in a CHRO role as it relates to governance and oversight of a public company. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, there's no substitute for real live business experience. There's no substitute for being on the front line. There's no substitute for having a responsibility to produce sales, to deal with clients face-to-face. -face. It gives you a different insight into uh, talent. And uh, uh, certainly it's where I cut my teeth in terms of understanding what are the elements of a good team, what's the elements of 
assessing talent. And, and then, of course, as you said, went on for another decade with uh, PepsiCo after that, where uh, that just uh, enriched that experience and learning. You know, I recently read an article talking about the impact of talent companies and, and how I would say undervalued the concept of talent is when it comes to managing the numbers of a corporation and that the talent really is a secret sauce, especially now more than ever is what they're saying out in Silicon Valley, which I just came back from a few weeks ago. And as a company grows and more importantly, when they go public, knowing how to handle that at the right levels. And again, from a board perspective, so that the board understands, because not every board person really understands the impact of the leadership. Well, they probably understand the impact of the leadership, but what really drives the ability for those leaders to to be able to help execute is what's happening underneath the second, third, and fourth layers. But you've also had that sales experience and that other operational role, which is very unusual. So how do you convey that to a board in a way that, I don't want to denigrate any other HR person, but the average person, HR person may not have had in an operational yeah. role? Um, well, I, I, I think the answer lies in your question. There, there are really two elements to being successful in any organization, a financial organization or a consumer goods organization. Clearly, having a strategy and a well-thought-out strategy, uh, a financial discipline, goals, scorekeeping is critical. But one can also look at that as an aspiration. A strategy is many times an aspiration. It's not the beginning and the end by itself. Uh, strategy is really a roadmap for where you want to get. There you go. And at the end of the day, two companies with equally good strategies the one that's going to succeed is the one that understands the role of talent behind strategy. How do you take that roadmap? How do you take that aspiration? How do you take that plan? And how do you execute talent? It's all about talent. My experience in all sorts of businesses, financial services, consumer goods uh, companies, and others, it gets down to talent. Talent as the competitive edge, diverse talent, and also creating an environment and a culture uh, that attracts and retains talent. You use the word secret sauce. That is, that is the secret sauce. Um, two groups can look at the same strategy and uh, execute it quite differently. And, and talent and the culture is the differentiator. It's not about the next app. It really is about the people who are able to put those ideas into into motion and actually make them financially viable, correct? Right. But when it comes to a boardroom discussion, there are some boards I know that are very good at actually understanding who their the ingredients are, their secret sauce ingredients are, reading the talent of the people inside the company. And then there are others that are so focused on what's happening to numbers in Wall Street, which is where they have to understand and they're reporting to because the street drives the stock. But it's really the people who ultimately do that. Conveying that message and getting a board member who may be less astute to do that takes, I mean, we keep sitting on this theme talent, but it takes a different kind of conversation, a different talent to to educate them. How do you, how do you knock it into their head? Or maybe you've never had to. Well, it's, um, I don't think it's an either or decision. Okay. Uh, it, it's not finance and, and results or talent. And certainly 
certainly one can be productive by understanding all the financial elements of the business, the measures, and performing for the street. But in, in today's competitive world, you've got to be more than competent. You're measured against your peers. And so the question always is, who is the best performing in any given sector? Who's the best performing with any given product line? Who's the best performing amongst a group of peer competitors? Inevitably, that distinction comes from not just the production, but comes from uh, the talent. The talent is what makes an organization sustainable. It is what creates a uh, culture that draws people in or repels them. It is the, the talent and the culture nowadays are great differentiators. Oh, there's definitely with what's going on out there and everything from Me Too to understanding diversity in the boardroom or in the company, more impactful, and how that brings the, the heart and soul of a company forward on the street, right? Right. When board members are looking at senior talent, I believe what's important is uh, three elements, wisdom, judgment, and character. Okay. Wisdom in a senior executive is the ability to extract good decisions from one's experience. And that's different from having the same experience in multiple locations and not becoming wise. So I, th- so I think wisdom, to a great extent, is underappreciated and underrealized. But wisdom is, how does one make the best decision for the organization uh, nine out of ten times Okay, uh, based on all the experiences? Judgment is how does one make great decisions for the better good of the organization in limited time with limited data. In today's environment, there's always limited data and there's always a press of time. Mm. So, Well, there may be a lot of data. It's just the access to the data that the individual has, right? Well, there may be a lot of data, but also the answer may not be at the, at the bottom of a pile of data. I mean, they're you know calling for more data and more data. Uh, data is not knowledge. Data is not knowledge and data is not judgment. At some point in time, the perfect answer isn't at the bottom of a pile of data. So Still have to make a call. So when you're looking at talent, who are the senior leaders who can make real good time decisions with a sufficient amount of data in a short time? And then the other piece that you mentioned with everything that's going on in the world today is character. That's a critical element. We don't always talk about that in terms of talent, but mm. but character can be described as as illustrated by the trail of the decisions we make in life. And uh, more and more individuals are looking to leadership and want to speak about the character of the person by whom uh, they're led. All of these ingredients, wisdom, judgment, and character are elements that boards want to look at when they're um, uh, looking at uh, senior talent. And character is often not brought to attention until, I'll say, the giant carrot is put out in front of the individual and the temptation is put there, right? Yeah, you're saying it another way, but how how one acts when they have power and resources and ability and they're on a on a stage speaks to uh, to character and then we all uh, lead a leave a trail in life of our of our uh, decisions and that's becoming a lot greater part of the social discourse character is a very interesting discussion when it comes to understanding how a company really values the different divisions within a company so a line versus a staff role and what that does to make a company stronger Bringing that forward, 
how important is it for a board role position to really understand the contribution of every different division in the company to create what is a valued brand, a valued company, a valued product and service to the customer in a way that continues to contribute to ultimately what's happening on the street? Yeah, I think it's very important for a board to uh, understand, appreciate, to evaluate the senior talent and the senior talent in, in every role. The, the gating question always is, w- what's the value-add versus the cost? And a question I like to ask as a gating question is, knowing everything I know about this individual, would I hire this person again as my first choice for this job at this compensation rate? What's the cost versus the really contribution? Well, I think in order to answer that question, draws you into the fact that you need to have that understanding, which is different than understanding, uh, you know, what's the role of a general counselor? What's the role of a business head? The next question is, who's in that role? What do they bring to the table in terms of uh, content and industry experience? Who are they as leaders? Are they consuming the people underneath them? Are they using them? Are they developing them? Are they creating sustainability in the organization? So, Some of it's about getting the job done, but some of it's about increasing the sustainability of an organization to go forward. And and so boards should be interested in those leaders. They should be interested in not just how they're doing the production, but how they're building the organization, how they're building the capabilities of the organization, how they're building succession, how they're building talent, how they're building culture, how these executives are drawing other equally talented uh, individuals in. Those are ki- critical and, and key questions. So that's, But that's also after you've been working with them for a while. You, you've gotten the chance to sort of see behind the curtain. The ability to produce is kind of a, uh, just a point of entry, getting back to your point about uh, okay. that making the numbers uh, every quarter. One is expected to make the numbers uh, every quarter, but the real value comes in mm-hmm. how is the organization building itself for the future? Sure. What are the organizational uh, capabilities? Not just the next quarter, but really the next 10, 15, 20 years, ultimately. That takes into place how are we thinking about, how's an organization thinking about culture? How's it thinking about diversity? The interesting thing about culture, a moment on that, uh, every company has a culture. You put two people together, you're already building a culture, right? Right. And But some cultures are by default and some are by design. Okay. Tell me more about that. Uh, in, in any event, every culture is the sum of all the senior leadership actions. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I would say generally most companies have a cultural statement or a, a mission statement or a vision of who they are. But with a statement versus what they actually do day to day can sometimes be out of sync. Well, that's exactly the point because um, companies that um, have uh, that statement and then hold their managers and leaders accountable to that, the closer the man- the leadership behaviors are to the statement, the more you have a company that with a culture that's uh, in harmony. The, f- the further away the statement is from the day-to-day actions of the leadership group, you're more likely to have chaos in that culture. Well, it's like everybody being on the bus and knowing which direction the bus is going at every point in time. And then all of a sudden, the bus turns into an airplane, right? Right. So culture is the sum of, uh, of uh, leadership uh, behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, not, not every organization has a statement. And that's where I would say some 
have a culture by default. They've got powerful leaders, and the way those leaders uh, behave, in fact, create the culture. So culture is often driven from the CEO, and the board is typically saying that one of its most important roles as a unit is to look at the succession or replacement of a CEO. You've been through a few of those over the course of time. How difficult were the discussions when it came to being in the boardroom? Because you are obviously there in many cases when these decisions are taking place for boards to really go through and and execute with the right guidance and how important is the role of the CHRO in making sure that they do that well? Because it's not their day job. I mean, it's not something that they do. This is your day job to make sure that the right people are there at all times. Well, succession is not an event. It's a process. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be ongoing at all periods in time. Every executive's moving from a place to a place at every point in time. Even executives which are in a place and in a role over a long period of time need to demonstrate the ability to grow and expand because the world changes and competition changes and technology changes and so many other, uh, the availability of talent changes. There are so many changes that knowing what you knew yesterday is not necessarily what's going to take you into to the future. I've seen very astute boards consistently looking at both the growth of the chief executive and succession. Succession never should be a surprise. It should should be a thoughtful plan. But it can be a surprise. It shouldn't be. Well, it shouldn't be, but it does at times, correct or no? Well, well, certainly all sorts of things happen in the world. Okay. But in terms of a thoughtful board process, a thoughtful board process will include immediate succession, but will include emergency succession. A CEO drops dead? Let's hope not, but... Or gets picked off by another company? Life happens. There are changes, and that's where I'm I'm making the point that uh, succession uh, shouldn't be a surprise. McDonald's went through two or three in a very short period of time because of health issues. Things happen. Life happens. It's it's thoughtful to think about what's what's the intended plan over time, What kinds of successors do we have underneath the CEO? What's the CEO's role in developing successors? What's the board's role in developing successors? What's the ideal plan? At the end of the day, boards are interested in creating the maximum amount of good options. What's in the best interest of the shareholders? And the best interest of the shareholders are uh, internal candidates, external candidates. And so when the decision comes... The board has several options. They're informed, and these kinds of discussions have been an ongoing process, whether it, uh, whether it's a life event that causes a decision to be made immediately. Or a market event. Or a market event, or whether it's just the, you know, just the natural time of an executive serving out the time that they and the board want to serve and, and, and time for uh, a smooth and a thoughtful transition. In the scope of that transition and thinking about succession, how well do you think the and I'm, the average, as I'm saying, the average executive and the average leader is really at planning their own succession and making sure the next person is available underneath them? Because quite frankly, we're planning our demise, correct? And that's not always easy for somebody to admit or want to make sure that the next man or woman behind them is as good, if not better than them. Well, I've heard that assumption before, that when you bring strong talent under you or you grow it, you're planning your own demise. And I think that's weak thinking, and I've heard that weak thinking. There's a whole other school and train of thought, which is 
bringing in strong talent underneath you that not only creates options, but gosh, it makes you look smart. Yeah. And actually, if the protege is better than the mentor, what a compliment. And it increases your uh, capabilities. You know, you go back to talking about one of the early lessons in, in life that I learned as a consumer goods salesman. I couldn't believe how smart and productive I became <laughs> by hiring and employing the best people underneath me. My ability to contribute just multiplied. So Makes your job easier in the long run. Makes your job easy. So it gets back to that point you were making about a business and production experience are useful to CHROs and, and otherwise. And it's an early lesson that I learned. The better the talent that we surround ourselves with, the better we look, the more we can do, the more we increase our capabilities. And I think there are a number of CEOs out there who get that. I've had the chance and the ability to work with some uh, spectacular CEOs who understood that proposition, who understood the talent proposition, who understood the culture proposition, mm. who understood building strong teams underneath them. And strangely, they've had some of the longest tenures. Uh, it didn't end up being their demise. It ended up being a great asset to a them. A great asset to them and created great uh, careers uh, underneath them. So when you look at a culture of a company and that the board is overseeing, because that is their job to help make sure that management is able to execute, and you can't execute on anything, quite frankly, unless the culture is there to support the ability to do so. When you have a culture that is a little rough around the corners and may need a little help or improvement, how do you go about setting the wheels in motion just to change things, especially if there has been some questions, shall we say, over the course of time mm. by an organization and not sure really where they need to go? It's a hard one. Well, yeah, I'd like to answer that question in a in a bit of a formula because okay. I think culture is one element of a formula and we're we're talking a lot about what makes great companies and so and what's attract what attracts talent and retains talent. And I I think there's a number of elements, so let me let me cite them to you. We've touched a few of them. One is who is the CEO, uh, the quality of the CEO uh, at the top of the organization. The message, the voice, the leadership, everything that comes all, through. All of that. I, I say you may never meet the CEO. You may be at a place in the organization that you don't meet them, but they will affect you in profound ways because their decisions, their values, the tone that they set for the organization creates a culture of them by itself. So that's, that's one element that it will attract or repel talent. The second element is the quality of the senior team, mm -hmm. the ability of the senior team to work together, and how that senior team adheres to the uh, values and, and visions. So you can have good quality people on the senior team, but if they can't work together, right. that's going to cause tribalism and disruption. You can have good producers on the senior team, but if they don't uphold the cultural norms, they can be great and great producers and destructive. In their own silos, but not together as a unit. And uh, at the same time. So so I think that's the second element at the top. So it's the CEO, it's uh, the quality of the senior team, how they work together. Uh, the third is the values and the culture. We talked a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Is it a real culture? Is it more than just a spoken culture? And, and are, and are uh, people investing in it? And are there consequences for supporting the culture or not supporting the culture is is the third element. I think the fourth element that brings people in is, is this a uh, working environment that has careers and rewards? And, and by that, I mean, companies make a big investment in bringing talent in. Many times, 
the talent is to fill a hole or a job as opposed to filling a career or growing within a company. Hmm. I think there's a second level of recruiting, which is not only is this the right person for this cog, is, is this the right person for this, but is this the right person for the company, for the culture, for go forward? Because if an organization brings in talent uh, that way, they're more likely to grow. They're more likely to have a retained talent. They're more likely to have a workforce that goes with them. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that you can't have specialists, but it means that if if an organization only thinks about filling boxes, they're likely to fill what opened in the past. So the executive, the mid-career person, and the early entry employee all have to have sort of the head, the heart, and the soul of the culture. Yeah, and, and expandability and, and the ability to grow. Right. Because like we said earlier, things are going to change. And do these people have the ability to change along with the organization? And, and I think the fifth uh, screen to look at for these successful organizations are, are they financially stable? You know, have they created the right strategy and the right culture? Because financially stable organizations act one way. And financially unstable organizations act another way. So when, when you put all of those together, culture is an element. It's the CEO. It's the, it's the senior team and uh, the way they work together. It's the values. It's the careers and rewards. And that's got to be underpinned by a strong uh, financial uh, performance. Any one of those elements is important. Any one of those elements of and by itself is useful. But thinking about them uh, together is um you know, very much a challenge for uh, for a board. Are they is is the board uh, thinking about that again? I've had the privilege of working with boards that uh, do think about those uh, things. But to your point, maybe it's not common. And you've been on some boards yourself, including academic boards, which are very complex in the nature of what they're dealing with because the environment of an academic environment is not quite the same as a public company. They have different incentives and different guidelines and different cultures. Well, every company has a different culture. How have you seen that be a little different versus the environment of a publicly listed company? Yeah, well, it can be challenging because uh, sometimes those organizations, uh, higher ed and organizations, uh, colleges, universities, uh, can be not-for-profit. But they still have to behave like for-profits because then you're not being able to serve the customer, which is the the student. Well, exactly right. You can't be for loss as a result of it being not-for-profit. Not but it 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 allows uh, it allows other things to seep into the uh, conversation. Like? Uh, like, uh, like emotions, like uh, preferences. The challenge is when you're not reporting on a quarterly basis to... Uh, get comfortable. The challenge is when in an organization like that where you have a lifelong tenure, mm -hmm. the challenge is how does one remain uh, current and, and relevant and what's the challenge is to be uh, current mm -hmm. and uh, and relevant. So so there are other challenges. Yet the, actually, the competitive environment can be more brutal. It, it can be. And organizations like that that don't uh, think about it erode their position slowly over time. Mm -hmm. Yet an environment or institutions like we're talking about are critical to the lifeblood of the public company. So we come full circle without the talent and the education and the intelligence and the wherewithal to build and grow companies, then we we don't have the the people that we need to to fulfill those well, roles. Exactly right, and so and so these five elements that I talked about is critical to a to a for profit organization are equally critical. 
to a not-for-profit organization. And when a, when some of these not-for-profit organizations are run well, uh, with that in mind, they can uh, differentiate themselves from their peers. If there was one piece of magic that you thought a board should have... They had a magic wand and you could say, I need to do something different. You need every, every board needs this magic wand. So the Harry Potter wand, right? What would you want that wish or that wand to do or be since we were just talking about emotion? Yeah, I look, obviously from my role and my purview, the magic wand would be understand the human element and the importance of the human element in all of our plans and strategies. We haven't hired robots for our entire staff yet. Uh, well, e- even in, <laughs> even in hiring robots, and and certainly, you know, we have talked about uh, technology and automation and other things. One still needs to consider the human element, the input from the beginning, right? The machine doesn't build itself. Yeah, uh, at least not yet. If we were to spend twenty five percent of the time on the human element that we do on uh, finance and strategy you're going to have a strong outcome, a very strong outcome. And I've seen that done in places and I've seen uh, what it produces and it it produces a very strong differentiation. It's interesting that you bring that up. I had a conversation with a friend who's a former army general and we talked about leadership in the military. His comment was, we are very good at bringing up leaders through the ranks. We're not very good at dealing with the actual human component of the leaders. I thought that was a very wise observation. And maybe sometimes we do the same thing in corporations. Again, I can talk about successful models. I say a lot of people have work, but not everybody has work and purpose. People want to belong to an organization where Mm -hmm. they have work, but they also understand the purpose of their work. They're making a contribution. So much of what organizations are being evaluated now on are their ethics, their corporate responsibility, their, their purpose. ESG has become sort of the buzzword now. Well, it is a buzzword. It shouldn't be a buzzword. It should be a part of doing. I hesitate because it's a buzzword for those who haven't caught up to it. Okay. For those, for those, it's fair. For those who understand and appreciate, and maybe are leading it, it's culture to be recognized as best places to work, world's most ethical, to spend a lot of time on diversity and culture. I grant that some places are discovering it. Uh, some mm-hmm. places it's a buzzword. At least they're discovering it, though, right? And yeah, and and I think the leading organizations that are attracting and retaining the best talent have figured out that this is a competitive edge. I would agree with you. It's interesting to see how a number of CEOs that I've known over the years are now more and more today saying, I'm not going to another company unless I think there is a fit with an organization that I can contribute both not just professionally, but as a as a person, as a human being. I didn't hear those kinds of conversations in years past. And it's happening right through the corporate executive ranks, which I think is good. It is. And, uh, and clients now and requests for proposals and otherwise are starting to look at how are companies conducting themselves in this ESG space? How are they doing in terms of diversity? How are they doing in terms of women and people of color on the board? How are they doing in terms of women and people of color in the executive ranks? How are they being uh, recognized? You know, it's nice for a company to be aspirational and uh, 
have their own value statements and vision of themselves, and, and that's aspirational. It's better when clients and outside organizations are recognizing these companies. And, and there are so many ways to be recognized, whether it's the uh, Bloomberg Gender Index or whether it's Ethisphere who recognizes uh, ethical companies. And it's just not meeting an index. It's actually doing it. It's doing it. So again, what an organization thinks of itself is important. What the world and the employees think of an organization are equally as important. So there, there are ways that organizations can grow and hold themselves to the challenge and be measured against the challenge. And walking the talk is a big front. With the fires out in California, there are a number of companies that are now stepping forward. And I just saw in the news that Airbnb, they have offered Airbnb facilities for those that have been displaced. That goes a long way to say that in a public market. And it, it, it does. And I think, I, I think it's quite important for a company to understand how it relates to the community, to uh, not do that accidentally, to not do that on a crisis or an exclusive event basis, to have thinking about how are we going to relate to the communities. Um, it's not just a PR event to make them look good. How are we going to control? Contribute. What do we do as a company for uh, the social good? Who are the audiences? Who are the people that we want to raise up in our society and and help? And uh, again, I think boards and companies that approach that in a thoughtful way are going to have better purpose. They're going to have employees with better purpose. Their clients are going to see them as uh, purposeful and thoughtful. And it requires an investment and it requires a plan. And uh, it's, again, like anything we've talked about, it's not something that happens by accident. It's something that happens by design. And it doesn't happen overnight. Not overnight. Well, thank you, Kevin. There's much more that we can go over, I know. And every time we get together, the conversations always go into something a little bit more in depth in a different area. And they're always fascinating. And every time we get together, I learn something new. So thank you for joining me here today on The Boardroom's Best. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please do so. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on FM Player and CastBox, I believe, now, too. Please join us. Give your comments. We get emails every time we're out there. Our email address is best at boardbench.com. Put in a note. Put in a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you, Kevin, once again for being here. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And I appreciate and honor you here as a guest. Thank you. I'm delighted. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you with the support of Resources Global Professionals, the company that delivers intellectual capital on demand to the world's most recognized companies and corporate leaders. RGP, Resources Global, the experts you want to call when you need experience to solve your business problems www.rgp.com.